Hey, Hensonites, what's up? It's DGS on DHP. In case you didn't know, the elders are proposing a new statement of faith, which is a big deal. Uh, we did this in a congregational meeting over the summer. We are proposing that the Henson Church adopt the New Hampshire 1853 with a few revisions. Elders are still considering some of the revisions that the, you, the congregation, have helpfully suggested. So we'll be looking over those in the coming months. But uh, God willing, we're going to be voting on this new statement of faith early in the year. So maybe even as early as January. Uh, Today's podcast is about that statement of faith. We're not going to go through it article by article, but we're going to talk about with Michael Lawrence and I are going to talk about the why. Why are we proposing this change? Uh, so I hope you find, find this helpful, particularly if you've missed the ongoing class on the new statement of faith or the open forums. Hopefully this kind of wraps it up together and helps you understand. I think you're going to enjoy this. Who doesn't love talking about the New Hampshire 1853? Amen. Hey, Michael, do you know what today is? No, what's today? It's the 75th anniversary of the Spruce Goose. No, really? The 75th anniversary? Have you seen the Spruce Goose before in person? I believe, isn't it down at the Evergreen uh, Air Museum well just done. south of here? Mailed, nailed it. Yeah. I didn't realize that the Spruce Goose was only up in the air ever for 30 seconds. Yeah, very, very short-lived flight. But until 2019, the largest aircraft ever built wow ever built oh until but then, 2019. until 2019 and then there was that plane is wasn't it in ukraine and it, it got destroyed in a bombing uh by by russia here just recently i don't know about I think that. the new largest pl- the thing that yeah anyway yeah well happy spruce goose day thank you um, we're going to talk not about the spruce goose for the rest of our time, although that would be, I, I actually kind of reached the end of my knowledge on the spruce goose. It was, it was <laughs> hard to use. You yes, know that, yes, right? yes. Yeah. And actually, wasn't there a movie made about it? I, <laughs> or at least it, it was in a movie uh-huh. about Howard Hughes. Okay, yeah. okay. I think with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. All right, but we're going to talk about the statement of faith and uh, what good statements of faith are used are used for or what they're good for and uh, why we're proposing a change to the congregation of a new statement of faith, which we've been having some open forums on. We were having a Sunday school class, but we wanted to hear from you, kind of a summary on why we're making making this change and uh, how, how this came about. So let's just first start generally. What is a statement of faith good for? Yeah. What are they for? That's a great question. So uh, a statement of faith is a way of summarizing what a church thinks we all need to agree on theologically in order to function together well and happily as a local church. It's not a statement of everything we believe. Uh, we believe way more than, than what a statement of faith would say. Uh, but we do think that everybody needs to agree on what's in a statement of faith in order for a church to function well. Um, a statement of faith doesn't bind our conscience. Jesus Christ alone is King and Lord of the church, and he rules his church through his word, the Bible. So the Bible only can bind our conscience. Uh, but of course, we think there are lots of things in the Bible that we can disagree on and still live together happily in a local church. The statement of faith would be the summary of things that we think, nope, these are the essential things that we all must agree on. Uh, and therefore it begins, it functions a little bit, both as a, as a, as a boundary, mm-hmm. you, you know, in, mm-hmm. in our church, 
on, on the inside are those who believe these things, and on the outside, maybe Christians, but they don't believe these things, so they wouldn't be part of our church. So it functions as a boundary. It also then functions as a foundation um, that, that we can build on, because we're all in agreement on these things. Okay, that's, that's really helpful. I'll probably have some follow-up questions okay. uh, here a little later, because let's, any just thoughts, because you're a historian, I mean, you're more kind of um, like Reformation era, 17th yeah. century, that's kind of more your specialty. Yeah. But any thoughts on how statement of faiths have been used in Baptist churches throughout history and anything in addition to what you already shared? Well, there are a couple of ways in which ba uh, Baptists have particularly been able to use statement of faiths. One is as proof uh, to all those other Christians out there that thought Baptists were kooks and crazies and maybe a cult or a sect. To, to demonstrate, no, actually, we pretty much believe all the same things that particularly Orthodox Protestants have always believed. Hmm. So they've been one way to show to kind of a watching world. We're not crazy. We're not crazy. <laughs> Don't believe everything you see yeah. on TV about us, right? Um, so that's that's one thing. The, uh, the other thing, though, is, as I said before, they've been used uh, to... to, to to make clear to people coming in, hey, if you're going to be a part of us, if you're going to be a member of this local church, uh, these issues are not a matter of open debate and discussion. No, no, we're, we're settled on these things. And so to come into our church is to agree to them and to agree to be held accountable to these theological truths. How would you respond to uh, the objection, we don't need a statement of faith the Bible is our statement of faith. Yeah, I think that uh, I totally understand that objection, and I appreciate the spirit of it, because I think mm -hmm. that gets back to what I said earlier. Mm -hmm. We do believe that only the Bible mm -hmm. uh, can bind the conscience. Only the Bible can say, thou shalt or thou shalt not, because only the Bible is God's word. Um, but if we were going to say, well, the Bible is our statement of faith, then I think what we would have to do is like go through it verse by verse and determine, okay, well, what does this one mean and how does it apply? And everybody's got to agree to it. And that would take a while. I, it would take a while. And you'd be left with a church of one. You. Sure. sure. Maybe your wife, uh, you, you know, but I, I don't even think I could get my wife in the same church on that one. Um, so to use the Bible as our statement of faith is impractical. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Um, so currently on our website, under beliefs, what we believe, it says the most important thing when looking for a church is knowing what they believe. And then what follows after a little more kind of uh, explanation are 10 articles, one sentence each, I believe. And uh, that's our current statement of faith. Um, probably a lot of folks didn't think there was any problem with this. It's, it's pretty clear. What... Where did this current statement of faith that we have here up on the website, where did that come from? Any, do you have any thoughts on the history behind that? Well, we don't know. Okay. We don't know for sure. Uh, the, the, the records, the earliest records of our church uh, appear to have been lost in a fire because one of our earlier buildings burned to the ground. And we were planted out of First Baptist, but they don't seem to have those records either. Mm. Uh, so we, we don't know for sure. We do know that the current statement of faith was adopted uh, in the early part of the last century, right around the turn of the century. Now, what that would suggest is that it wasn't our original statement of faith. 
a new one was adopted. And given the historical timing, it probably suggests that it came out of the fundamentalist modernist controversy Mm. in which evangelical Christians were seeking to, in very simple and clear terms, define the fundamentals of the faith. And our uh, statement of faith looks like it could easily have come out of that sort of movement. Okay, that's that's helpful. Do you have any idea on how long it's been Henson's statement of faith then, this current one? Uh, I mean, pr- probably 100 years, maybe a little more. Okay, okay. And there was, there's was there been some slight changes over the years. Yes. Um, yeah, so we, we could talk about that another time. Um, so why make a change? Did, were, when you went on sabbatical out into the fields of sabbatical land, were you, you know, wandering in the in the, the wandering around wandering the fair, around the, the fair fields of sabbatical that's yes. right and you found the pearl of great price <laughs> the, this this uh new hampshire 18 is it 1853 1853 1853 statement of faith and you thought aha i'm gonna sell everything that i have in order to <laughs> in order to purchase this pearl of great price yeah no that's 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 not how it happened actually um this came out of a discussion that the elders had as we thought about our priorities uh, over a year ago hmm. Um, we began to talk about the fact that uh, perhaps we needed a more robust statement of faith. The statement of faith we have, it's been changed a few times over the years. Mm-hmm. It served us well. Mm-hmm. But we now live in an environment uh, in which there are a lot of crosswinds and headwinds coming at us theologically. We live in a very uh, distrustful and partisan environment. And I think we all could feel the, the buffeting that the church was receiving through kind of the pandemic years. Uh, and so the elders agreed that, that the church would be served well by a statement of faith that was not narrower than our current statement of faith, but that was deeper, uh, more robust, and able to provide the kind of foundation for us so that we could respond to some of the new challenges that we're facing. And I think that's an important thing for everybody to understand. Statements of faith, to some degree, should be statements of timeless historic orthodoxy, Mm. never changing. Mm -hmm. But in other aspects, they're always addressing whatever the challenges of the day happen to be. Okay, okay. uh, Again, I might come back to that too. Um, So would you say then that the statement of faith then is, is for more for the church or more for the watching world? Uh, I think primarily the statement of faith is for the church. Okay. Um, it's useful in terms of the watching world, like we said. We're not crazy. We're yeah. Orthodox Christians. Uh, but I think primarily it is for us as a foundation statement for us to stand on in in unity, in, a, in complete agreement. Um, the, the reason that we... You know, the elders formed a subcommittee. We looked at a, a number of different options of statements of faith that we that we could go with uh, or use as a basis of revision. And uh, in the end, after looking at several different options, we settled on this one, the New Hampshire uh, Statement of Faith of 1853, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it was most likely the statement of faith that our church was founded with. It was the most common statement of faith used by Baptist churches in the northern part of the United States, of which Oregon is part of the, mm-hmm. the northern. It, we used to be part of the Northern Baptist Convention. Um, and so this was the 
majority, overwhelming majority statement of faith that was used. So if we go forward with this one, we're returning to our roots. We're returning to our roots. Um, the, The other thing that recommended well, two other things that recommended this particular statement of faith when you when you kind of ask the question, well, why why this one? Um, it addressed very clearly some some holes, some gaps mm-hmm. in our current statement of faith. Our current statement of faith uh, does not talk about the local church at all. Our current statement of faith doesn't talk about the relationship between the church and the state. Uh, our current statement of faith doesn't talk about things like repentance. <laughs> Um, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, all of which are a big deal, and they're a big deal specifically in our current environment. So even though, funny enough, even though it's an old statement of faith, it's actually speaking to some current challenges that we have. Uh, we, we all know that going through COVID, the, the pandemic, a uh, lot of questions about what is the relationship between the church and the state, and, mm. and we didn't have anything that we had all said we agreed to that could provide a framework for us to help us in that conversation, for example. So, right. so this statement does that for us. Um, the other thing, though, that's interesting about this statement of faith is, of course, it was written long before anybody ever thought that you could have a gender that was different from your biological body, mm-hmm. right? That wasn't a, ver- a big issue in 1853. No, I'm, really sh- I'm sure people experienced gender dysphoria, and the response would have been probably to put them in a, an asylum of some sort. Like, they, they would have been understood to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, everybody's assuming gender and biology go together. Nobody would have assumed that two men could get married or two women could get married, right? These were just not questions. And so the, the statement of faith doesn't address them mm-hmm. directly. In, instead, it just assumes historic biblical Christian teaching on marriage, on, on gender, on men and women, on authority. Hmm. That also is useful for us. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, How so? It's, well, it's useful because it would be easy for a church to adopt a statement of faith today in 2022 that uh, the world would look at and say, oh, you just hate gay people mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. hate trans people. Which we don't. Which we don't. <laughs> uh, because you never did have a statement on this, but then laws changed. Supreme Court rulings came down, and all of a sudden, you adopt a statement that says you're anti-gay or you know anti-trans. Well, what's useful about this statement of faith is, well, actually, n- no. This was our original statement of faith. It was written long before Oberfell, and yet its 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 teaching and its assumptions demonstrate that our commitment to of the historic orthodox position on marriage and gender is not something new. It's not in reaction to or in response to a ruling at the Supreme Court we didn't like. No, this is the kind of stuff that Christians have always believed. Hmm. That's useful for us. Um, let's change gears a little bit and think about um, more of the specifics and just the tone of this uh, statement of faith. Uh, should I be uh, concerned if I don't find this statement of faith uh, a super engaging, like a great read as I'm falling asleep? If I reach for a Stephen King novel instead of this one, am I maybe not a Christian? Yeah, no. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you read through this and you find yourself... Uh, 
scratching your head at times, uh, n- not not feeling like, oh, this is scintillating reading. Uh, yeah, that, that would be really normal. A statement of faith tends, uh, especially the kind that we're wanting to have, a more robust one, is going to tend to try to be very precise and exacting in its language. And theological. Deeply theological. Mm-hmm. And therefore, sometimes it's going to even use almost like technical terminology mm-hmm. uh, that connects up to historic Christian theological teaching uh, on the on the various topics that it covers. So in that sense, it's not it, it's not uh, like website friendly no, the way that we all. think of marketing and no. But again, I, again, the point of a statement of faith is not to attract people. Mm. It's not for marketing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not so that oh people will see this splashy thing on our webpage and think that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Now that's that's not the purpose of it. Would you be willing to try to assign an emoji for each article, <laughs> <laughs> just to help some of us? <laughs> that's hilarious. So, but um, how should we respond if we're reading through this and we like read through a run-on sentence? Um, I mean, like this last week, Mark Whitcomb was teaching on essentially election. What what article is that? That's nine. Article nine of God's purpose of grace, and I mean, there's some long sentences here and some language that it took like a good forty five minutes for us to work to through work this, through it. right? Just one article. Yeah. Um, what? How should we re- respond if we find ourselves almost defeated by it? Like. I don't, I don't know exactly what this is saying. Uh, what would it mean for me to affirm this as a Christian? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what all this talk about the means and the ends and, uh, you know, God's purposes and election right. um, and ascertained and adjudged yeah. and all these, right. you know, like, right. how should I respond to that? Uh, a couple of ways. Okay. One, let me encourage you to reach out to your elders. Your elders have spent a lot of time on this. Mm. And if you've got questions about it as you read through it, uh, view this as an opportunity to grow and learn in your theological knowledge mm-hmm. and That's reach good. out to your elders as a way of growing. And I think just in general, uh, I would like us to view this statement of faith as something that does actually promote growth. So it's not a lowest common denominator saying things that uh, we all already knew, uh, but it's it's a it's a statement of faith that yes, we all can agree with, and it is entirely consistent with everything that's been taught here for the last at least 15, maybe 20 years, long before I got here. Mm. Um, but, but that it's something that's going to press us almost in an aspirational way uh, to grow deeper in our knowledge of the scriptures and in our theological understanding. So don't be discouraged. Mm. Instead, take up the challenge. Um, do understand that one of the reasons that there's a lot of like run on sentences and is they're actually trying to be concise. <laughs> I realize it doesn't look like it, but they are actually trying to pack in when they wrote this. When I'm trying to be concise, I'm like, God is good. Yeah. God is holy. Right. <laughs> they are, they are trying to summarize the Bible's teaching on some important topics. And honestly, they're trying to summarize teaching that could fill a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're but they're trying to boil it down to the essentials of that book and then get it into one article. Okay. Thus, the sentence structure. So, if people feel like, man, this seems old, archaic, uh, and long-winded, 
uh, with lots of run-on sentences, maybe uh, our response is, well, just be thankful that we didn't uh, choose uh, like Calvin's Institutes. Oh, my goodness. There are a lot of confessions of faith out there that are way longer than this. Yeah. Well, even uh, the Southern Baptist, Baptist Faith and Message is quite a bit longer, isn't it? The Baptist Faith and Message of 2000 is quite a bit longer than New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. It was actually based on New Hampshire. Okay. uh, But they keep adding to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it just gets longer and longer. Are we going to do that? I. It's not my intention. Okay. The church always could, though. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. That this is something that's adopted by the church under the leadership of the elders, and so the elders in the church at any time could decide. You know, uh, something has come up, and we need to add an article. So to, we're allowed to do that. Absolutely. So have we in this what we're proposing? Have we added or subtracted anything from the original 1853? So what we have made some changes. Okay. Uh, mostly subtractions. Yeah. So the uh, article number um, 15 on the Lord's Day was originally written in such a way that was more Sabbatarian, meaning mm-hmm. that it taught that you really shouldn't do anything of a secular nature on Sunday. And we don't believe that. Mm-hmm. So we do think Sunday should be set apart as a mm-hmm. day for worship, mm-hmm. but we don't think that doesn't mean you can't go to a restaurant afterwards for lunch mm-hmm. or take the boat out on the river mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, water sports later that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took out the language that made it sound Sabbatarian. We also tried uh, to make it very clear in the article on uh, on church government. Let's see, that's article number 13, I believe, uh, of a gospel church. Um we wanted to make certain that everybody was clear that we are complementarian, that we think the office of elder is reserved only uh, for uh, men. Mm-hmm. And actually, in our statement on the Gospel Church, we also added language that made clear that the relationship between Christ and the church is pictured in the relationship in a marriage between a man and a woman only. Mm-hmm. And so we've got language about the family in the article on the church. Number 12. Uh, is that number? Yep. Number, uh, number 13. 13. I can't read the Roman numerals of a gospel church. Number 13. Yep. Uh, so, and then, uh, we may, we've, we've made a lot of smaller changes. Mm -hmm. Like I think a lot of times they use the language of Holy ghost. We've changed all of that to Holy spirit. We've tried to remove, you know, thighs and vows where possible. Mm -hmm. Um, it may be that we need to do more modernization, Mm -hmm. but we've already taken a first shot at it. Yeah. And a number of people have already given us some feedback, which will, the elders will take into consideration. Um, if you feel very strongly about how something could be said more, um, simply, or if it's, if it just feels so archaic and complex to you, you know, an, an email to any of the elders, uh, we'd be happy to receive that. So we could consider those things. And, and we do, we take that very seriously mm-hmm. because we want to continue to use our statement of faith, our confession of faith as a church liturgically, as we already do. Mm-hmm. So we, so use, what does that mean? Well, we use a number of historic Statements of faith, creeds, mm-hmm. creed is just another word for a statement of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Constantinopolitan Creed mm-hmm. um, and the Formula of Chalcedon. And then we also use our own church's statement of faith in our morning, Sunday morning worship. We want to be able to continue to do that. This one would take a while. We'd be standing for uh, like a good 25 minutes, maybe. Yeah, I would imagine that if we adopt this new statement of faith, 
on any given Sunday, we would only confess one of the 17 articles that, or is it, yeah, 17 articles that we've mm-hmm. adopted. We wouldn't try, right now, we cut our statement of faith in half. We mm-hmm. do a part one and a part two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the future, if we use this, we would just do one article on a Sunday. And it wouldn't be every Sunday. It would, we would keep our normal pattern. If this motion passes um, and we adopt this new slash old statement of faith, will there be like a bonfire where we burn the old one? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, the old statement of faith uh, has served us really well, and I'm yeah. really grateful for it. Um, when I was candidating here, mm-hmm. um, after the church decided to make the change so that an amillennialist like me could join the church, Uh, I read that statement of faith and I knew, oh, this is a solid evangelical church. I can happily sign it. I can happily teach it. And I can serve with that statement of faith for the rest of my life if need Mm. be. And so if the church decided not to adopt the new statement of faith, I mean, life goes on happily. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. We we may want to come back and, and try to address some of the deficiencies of our current statement of faith in a different way. But I actually think there's a lot to be said for getting back to our roots. Um, they were good roots, and I think that they are the kind of roots that will serve us well for decades, centuries to come. That's really helpful. Uh, so what if um, I'm looking over the statement of faith? I don't feel super strongly about it, but I'm like, I kind of like the old one better because, like you said, there's some it's, – it's simple – uh, it goes well on a website, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, should I vote no on this new statement of faith, or how should I think about like um, trusting my elders, unity of the church? You know, I, I recognize that there's some good things in this 1853 New Hampshire one, but like I'm not like totally jazzed about the new one. How should I be thinking of that, just as a church member, if that if that's me? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, well, I want to just say that I don't think this is a vote that we should just be making based on like personal preference. Mm. We're talking about the theological foundation of our church, mm. what, what we want to try to, what we think we need to build on for the future mm-hmm. and uh, the, the kind of the right place to put the boundary um, as, as well as specific articles giving us specific tools with which to confront particular problems that we face in today's culture. Um, so I don't think this is just a matter of preference. Okay. I like the old language better. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I think this is a place where, as I talked about my pastor's comments uh, a while back, uh, the, the elders are really trying to serve the church. Um, the, the elders, by their very nature and qualifications, should be men who are more theologically um, literate maybe than the church as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we expect them to be apt to teach. They really understand the Bible. Uh, we, we wouldn't want to have elders that couldn't do that. We have been incredibly blessed with elders at this church mm-hmm. who have more than the average theological education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the elders actually spent a lot of time on this, really mm-hmm. thinking carefully. Uh, what would serve our church well. So in part, I want to say, look, uh, this is a place to trust your elders unless you read through the statement of faith and you disagree with its content. What if I disagree with one line? I'm, and I, I asked for clarification. I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't think I agree with that. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm. I would. I think I would argue that one line disagreement with one line is probably not sufficient to vote against it. Okay. But if you find yourself just again and again disagreeing with it, mm-hmm. then you should probably vote against it. Mm-hmm. I think if you read through it and you decide not because of style, mm-hmm. but because of substance, good. It's making the church too narrow. It's going to exclude too many people, mm-hmm. or it's making the church too broad. It's going to allow people in that actually we wouldn't normally want to allow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then that'd be another reason to vote against it. Okay. Um, and if it still passes, and I find myself in a church where I disagree with a few lines in the statement of faith, does that mean I should leave the church? I don't think so. Okay. I think, again, this is a bit of a judgment call. Yeah. If you find yourself disagreeing with the overall thrust and system of the statement of faith as it's laid out, yeah, then you need to find a church that whose statement of faith you can wholeheartedly adopt. But we should also say that the elders would be happy to talk uh, through this with you, recommend some reading, because even even people who are currently serving as elders, as David Fisher shared, like initially when he came to Henson, he didn't agree with uh, like one statement in our statement of faith, and he did a lot of homework. He did a lot of homework. Yeah. So we, I would encourage you, if you find yourself saying, yeah, I I think I agree with most of it. Uh, There's this one line that I don't think I agree with that. I don't know. Maybe I'm not understanding it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to sit down and make sure that I really understand what that line is saying, because it is older language mm-hmm. uh, before you make a final decision. Uh, but let's say you do that homework and you go, yeah, no, I disagree with this. I, uh, You know, if the line that you disagree with is the Trinity mm-hmm. or the incarnation mm-hmm. or the gospel itself, right, then we have bigger problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're just not sure that you are ready to sign on to a statement about means and ends in salvation, I think I would say, uh, trust your elders because they've proven themselves trustworthy. Uh, ask for more insight, education, Mm -hmm. talk with somebody about it. Uh, and, and then, and then move forward positively knowing that, um, well, A, a lot of people have looked at this. Mm-hmm. B, if we do find something wrong in it, we're the, the con- we can change it. The congregation can change the statement of faith. So I, I don't, yeah, it, this is a difficult question to answer because you, you could disagree with things that would mean you need to leave. Yeah. But I doubt that's going to happen. I think yeah. for most of us, it's like, oh, I wouldn't have said it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for that, I would say, I think that's where we we all need to be able to submit to the whole. Yeah. I always like to end the pod, uh, podcast episode on a really difficult, thorny question Thank that's you. almost impossible to answer. Thank you. But in this case, I'll end with a, a kind of a, a softball Um uh, not about the spruce goose, because I did cut you off earlier, and I assume that's where you're going back to. Uh, but anything you want to say to the congregation about this process, about some of the feedback we've received at the open forums, anything you just want to say that you haven't had a chance to say, or do you just want to reiterate as we conclude? Well, I think that uh, I'm really thankful that uh, Christians in generations before us gave a lot of careful thought to how to safeguard the kind of the legacy and the integrity and the ministry of this church. Mm. Uh, I I think the church has been served well Mm. over the years. And I, I kind of want to call the current generation to the same level of seriousness. Uh, 
that what we're doing here is not uh, thinking about a statement of faith and making decisions based on would I have written it this way or do I like the language um, or do I like the style? No, we're really asking much bigger questions. And I think our church is up to that task of really evaluating, is this the kind of statement of faith that will be able to protect and guard and promote the growth of the church for generations to come? That's great. Thank you, Michael, for taking the time to talk about this today. Thanks for asking me.